Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Digital Capital Advisors Fireside Chat Series. We're excited to have you here as always. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm Andrew Daniel. I'm a senior investment banker here on the team at Digital Capital Advisors. Uh, DCA is an investment bank. We're based in New York City, the Empire State Building. We've got an office in Berlin and then a presence out on the West Coast in the U.S. Uh, DCA, as many of you know, has just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Uh, this is part of the celebration for that 10-year anniversary, um, and we've really enjoyed doing these thus far. The Fireside Chat Series features hour-long conversations with world-class founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and operators from companies that we find interesting across the landscape. Um, and today, we are going to have a very exciting conversation about media, um, new media formats, monetization, and everything that will come around that. Um, I have the CEO of Team Community uh, with us on the show today. Tijal, welcome to the show. Thank you. Awesome. How's it going? It's going well. <laughs> Um, so why don't we start with uh, talking about Ken and giving maybe some context around the table as to who you are and, and what the business is. Um, it'd certainly be great to get a sense of the story and evolution of the company and uh, where you guys are today and, and any other color that you could provide. For sure. So Ken's a digital entertainment company. Um, we have been around since 2007. Um, we've gone through a few rounds of fundraising. Um, Definitely, there has been an evolution of the business. Um, Kin started off as a basically like blogs, um, mom blogs, um, which so it was basically websites. Um, started off with um, doing content around mostly uh, mom stuff, but getting into a little bit of lifestyle uh, um, content. Um, we also partnered with, or we created subsidiaries and tried to figure out different ways to get our content out there. Um, and we just found that we were, it, the company was kind of evolving towards like more women's lifestyle type content. Sure. And so through that, we, we actually were one of the first companies that YouTube, um, uh, funded to create their, their own MCN. So they saw what kind of what we were doing with um, all these websites and all these blogs, and they said it would be cool to start doing some video content yeah. um, around this. And so Kin evolved. So actually, we started off, the company is actually called Digital Entertainment Corporation of America. That's now what we consider as the kind of parent company. Uh, we do business as Kin. That's when Kin evolved, uh, or that's when Kin came into the picture is when YouTube um, uh, funded this new MCN channel, which we called Kin Community. So that happened in 2009, I believe. And so that's when Kin got into the video content side of things. That's when it really started evolving into women's lifestyle. And we started building out this MCN with mostly women creators uh, around lifestyle content, like uh, food, baking, um, uh, beauty, um, health, fitness, all of that. So started building up that MCN network. Probably we decided, Kin as a company decided to go more for quality rather than quantity, like some of the other MCNs did. Um, and so we kept it to around 100, 150 creators in our network. Uh, then started expanding the internal team to kind of manage all of that. Um, started really building up relationships with these creators. One of our biggest um, uh, YouTubers is this woman, Rose Rosanna Pansino. Uh, she's the, the biggest baker on YouTube. Um, 
we've had we and so through this uh you know we we started realizing that there there was a lot that we could do with this and investors also noticed that too and so one of our investors in series c was chorus entertainment which is a canadian um, media company so through that we then spun, uh created a canadian subsidiary um and that would have that happened in 2014-15 time frame and through that then same thing finding canadian uh youtubers canadian lifestyle creators um and one of the women that we found when she when we found her she maybe had 10,000 subscribers on youtube her name's Yolanda Gamp um her channel is called how to cake it it's now one of the biggest uh baking channels on youtube wow in the few months since she signed, when she signed with Ken, she went from 10 million subscribers to over a million subscribers just in like a few months. She had a cake that went viral. It was a watermelon cake. I don't know if everyone remembers that, but it was basically a cake that looks exactly like a watermelon, but it's a cake. So that went viral. Her whole channel went viral. Um, so we, you know, built, kind of helped continue to build her channel. So Anyway, so we, you know, we went through that as a company. It was supporting these creators. We had a partner strategy team that was specific to just supporting the creators um, and helping them to continue to build their channels. And then we had a sales team too that was selling uh, brand integrations against these channels. And so the the company was doing well. Um, we kept we growth uh, year over year growth. Um, you know started getting, you know, more and more significant growth. Then we realized though, that it was content that we didn't own. You know, the creators owned this content. Yeah. Um, we had less control over the brand brands that we could bring to the table. So there was just a lot of factors that came into play that we kind of realized like, Oh, is it, what could be the next, um, what could be the next evolution here? And so in 2017, um, just kind of a little bit out of the blue, I think, but also based on kind of what we have been doing, um, a talent agent um, here in Hollywood reached out to our CEO, Michael, about a woman, her name's Tia Mowry. And she's on, she was on a show called Sister Sister back in the day. You know, she's a child actress. She's been around for a long time. And her agent basically was like, hey, have you guys ever thought about working with celebrities? And so that spurred a whole internal conversation to see what could we do here? How could this work? Um, and how could we make it so the talent gets what they want and we kind of, you know, get what we want here. And so we came up with a business model to partner with these talent that we, we would, we would um, participate in the profit in the back, uh, the back end profit together. Sure. And so we wouldn't necessarily look at them as just talent. We would look at them as partners in, in a business together. Right. And so that's where the business has now evolved to um, in the, you know, 13 plus years that Kin's been around. Um, we have now evolved into this kind of business model, which funny enough, I think was similar to what Kin was when we started with these blogs and stuff. We, we owned all of that. And so we kind of went full circle and came back Um and now we're we are working with you know pretty well known celebrities and creating very impactful uh, uh, content online. Uh, you know, it's definitely entertaining, but it's empowering as well. And we and it's inspiring content too. Sure. And 
that's something that I think we all are very proud of as a company. And, but the, from a business perspective, it's also pretty awesome what we've been able to do because we don't pay talent fees. We don't pay um, a per episode talent fee to, to the women that we work with these uh, celebrities. So it's a true partnership. Ken puts up the money. We, we produce the content. We do 48 episodes a year. So we basically put up an episode a week uh, on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. So it's all online. Uh-huh. Um, we put cut downs on, on Instagram. We have show pages on all of these um, platforms, everything. And so Ken puts up all the upfront money. We, we produce all the content. We own all the content. We bring brands to the table. We sell through integrations. We have the partnership with Facebook and YouTube um, to you know figure out different ways to um, support our content. And then at the end of the year, we look at what's what what was the profit for that show, and then we have a split with each talent. And they they get part of the uh, the proceed net proceeds. We get it. We get to keep part of it. And that's how we've kind of built this new model, which I think is uh, something different. I think uh, a lot of uh, digital entertainment companies haven't really gotten to something like this before. Um, it's been great for us because since that initial conversation with the TMRA's agent three years ago, we have now launched 14 shows with different celebrities. Um, and we've started to develop really good relationships with agents and, and these talent and all of that. Through the talent, we're, they're introducing us to their other celebrity friends. So we're able to um, continue growing uh, all these, growing the shows, basically. That's kind of the evolution. That was a lot. <laughs> I talked for a long time. Um, but that's kind of been the evolution of Kin. And it's been, it stayed true to its core, I think, of wanting to continue to put out really just quality, quality content yeah. and um, inspiring content, empowering content. And we continue to want to really drive that there's a space for content specifically for women online, but in a, not in a like scripted way, in an unscripted way, but that's not reality TV. You know, it's, 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 there's substance here. There, there's content. This is content that, that people like and people want to see and it's wholesome there's, there's no negativity in there. It's very, um, it's, it's uplifting content. That's really what it is. Yeah. No, hundred percent. And I think that the story of Ken, I think highlights maybe the story of the broader media ecosystem and the general evolution we've seen over time. I think the thing that excites me about your business day, as we frequently talk about is the idea that you guys have a created a very unique content sourcing model, right? From a, a talent perspective, from a demographic perspective, um, you've done a really great job of building a content engine that's creating really unique content. Um, that unique content is then uh, built in a formatted setting, which I think, again, very valuable to think about the ecosystem. So can we create a reproducible formatted content type? Um, and the value of that is relatively high, particularly if you can do it sustainably. And then lastly, distributing it across a variety of places, right? Not just on YouTube, uh, not just on social, but really across an ecosystem, an increasingly growing ecosystem of distribution. And I think a lot of those things highlight the transition that we've seen in the broader media ecosystem. We step back from Kim for a second, which is really that businesses started uh, often as bad. 
ad content creators writing in low cost content formats. Um, pre video, even it was digital media in the sense of reading on web pages. Um, and we learned very quickly that wasn't a sustainable model. Video emerged many years ago as a way to get away from the traditional digital media formats, but was really difficult to master. And it was either low quality content formats that were living on destination sites. Um, if it was on YouTube, typically it was relatively low quality, certainly wasn't reproducible and didn't have a very unique angle. Um, and again, broadly, we've seen this evolution, which has now gotten us to this priority. And I think OTT has helped to accelerate this. Uh, general content consumption habits and the preference towards video has helped to inform this. Um, but there's this craving of, can we find, this is from the consumer, can we find content that is A, really high quality, speaks to our demographic, and that demographic can be very specific, or it can be quite large, right? I think about a female demographic as being relatively large, and we're now seeing um, demographics that are even tighter than that. Um, and then finally, can we figure out a way to access that content in a, in a kind of an equatable way? Um, and we've seen that evolution happen. And I think OTT has helped to accelerate that need for formatted content and jacking the value up by kind of sucking the oxygen out of the space and creating this vacuum that exists for content, which brings up the content value. And that means that some of the traditional distribution methods are looking really desperately for content. And I think on the flip side, we've seen the consumer become uh, more enthralled by the idea of getting access to relatively free content. Uh, maybe it's ad monetized, whatever, but relatively free in kind of a more organic setting than behind a paywall. Um, and all of those things, I think, again, highlight the story that you guys have gone through and, and highlight that digital entertainment evolution. Um, but that, that's how I see it. It would be curious if you see something similar there with regards to evolution of the space and, and how you're thinking about the broader ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. I think that has been how it's evolved uh, in this space in particular. Um, you know, if you if we want to be real honest, like there aren't very many digital companies remaining at this point. You sure. know, a lot of them either um, were acquired and maybe shut down after they were acquired, or they just weren't able to make it through through the through the past few years. You know, it's been it has been an interesting time. Like you know, Google and Facebook really have taken over, uh, not only from the perspective of just taking over the world, like they are, are taking over, not only, they are now creating their own programs in, internally yeah. to then take away from other companies like, like ours, you know? So the good thing for us though, is we have been able to partner very well with Google and Facebook and we have great relationships with them. So Facebook had this, uh, initiative, uh, two years ago, um, to basically fund series with different companies. Uh -huh. And Kin, Kin was one of them. So uh, Facebook funded eight uh, shows, eight episodes each. Um, and we, were, we pitched them, we, we got approved, and we were able to work with the talent that we currently worked with. And we were able to pitch them on new talent that we knew we wanted to work with. And we were able to get those approved. And so all, all eight series have gone up now on Facebook. The last one just went up, uh, just launched a few weeks ago with this woman, Karuchi Tran. Um, and it's, it was a very successful partnership for us. Um, and one of our shows, actually, they ended up renewing for a second season. So they renewed it for another eight episodes. That's right. So that was great too. So I think that's also, that's for us is what we've realized that we, we're powerful in what we're doing. We're a little bit smaller than some other companies, but we have built amazing relationships. 
And because of that, we are able to <clears throat> continue to create a really find a, like awesome talent, um, get put out TV quality content online and, you know, really just keep expanding that way. And I think from that too is the evolution of what we've been able to do, which is now take our online content and go to, and, and we, you know, cable networks are coming to us now, basically wanting to potentially license our content. So I think even that next step is something new in our industry that we haven't really seen. And it's not necessarily because of COVID, you know, like this, this happened the first time we licensed our content to a cable network was last year, actually. And so this is more of a business model that really works for cable as well, because we're our content is so um, robust and TV quality and we can easily do 22 minute episodes even though our online episodes are usually on average between uh, 14 to 17 minutes, we have enough footage from our shoot day with the talent that we can make each episode 22 minutes. Right. Um, and so that's been easy for us to do, edit, edit all these episodes into 22s, send them over. And now they're on, now they're on TV, you know, and that, that we are seeing now more and more. And now I think because of COVID, we are definitely seeing more because so many people haven't been able to be in production. And that's something for us that during this, this time we have been able to continue to put up new content every week. And I don't think a lot of people can say that. So that's been, that's been the next kind of step for us is this, these partnerships with different cable networks, different um, production, like bigger production companies, and figuring out different ways. And then to your point, from an OTT standpoint, you know, AVOD is the next big thing, I think, and figuring out that strategy and create, hopefully creating like a linear channel on an AVOD platform where all of our content is up there um, every day and we're programming it and we're um, acquiring content as needed or licensing content as needed to get the 24 hours of content every single day. Um, but our, our content is, is what's bringing everybody in and the celebrities that we're working with. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I think there are a few things to pull on there. So I think one yeah. is around monetization and change the monetization cycle as it's happened. And maybe we'll get that in a little bit. And then I think you talked a little bit about what is really distribution scale and engagement, right? And I think that change on all three of those forefronts has been really significant. So maybe let's start with that and we can talk about monetization. Yeah. So I think as we look at the market, which you're hinting at is exactly correct, which is that the measurement and distribution um, has changed really significantly. And again, as I just talked about, I went from a world where it was single point, um, and that's a destination site, and that was incredibly legacy. Then it was single point, okay, we're just going to be on YouTube and distribute things on YouTube. Then it went into community building, uh, no pun intended, but ultimately building large communities yeah. <laughs> of social followers. Can we distribute shorter cuts of content in social, whether it be Facebook, whether it be Instagram, Snapchat, et cetera. We see a number of content models from that. And then we stacked on either OTT distribution, I think it's still early, particularly for smaller content producers. Not a lot of great examples of that today, but they're increasingly growing. And then, of course, the, the cable distribution, traditional linear distribution, and that's now been a model that we've seen demonstrated across a variety of companies. But that evolution, I think, has made this value, which is that 
you know, it's no longer the case that traffic is the indicator of success. Back in the day, I think a lot of folks tried to argue that, and that had to do with the monetization, which we can talk about in a second. But today it's really about, you know, what is the community that I have built? How do I engage with that community? And the measurement of engagement has come up from a standard perspective very significantly. We can look at social, we can look at YouTube, we can look at linear. Um, and it's really figuring out how do we distribute our content in as many places as possible and build libraries of quality content um, in a way that we can engage with the end user. And that opens the door to very interesting monetization possibilities which we can talk about in a little bit. But as a shift, I think we've seen that happen really significantly. And what's accelerating that is ultimately that, particularly in a linear and OTT, you know, I think YouTube's about the same, although progressing, but linear and OTT, this content shortage is making folks get more creative, right? It, particularly in our COVID conditions, but pre-COVID as well. Pre-COVID, there was just a content shortage. Demand was so high and the dollar so high that every minute of content has gone up in price so significantly that while the Netflix and the Hulus and the others of the world might not have a challenge, drift downstream into a very crowded video on demand marketplace and it becomes really hard to go find content. And then secondarily, um, in a traditional linear programming way, you know, those guys are struggling to come up with cable TV to fill a lot of their slots that are less effective or less, less monetizable just given where they exist inside of the lifespan of TV. And, and for us, I think COVID has now accelerated that further. You've shut down a lot of the content engines you can no longer produce. You're doing a lot of reruns, retapping the evergreen portfolios, but the shortage is becoming more and more real. And at the same time, the larger players who have some backup library content built in, it's a safety precaution, they're burning through their portfolio. And so their users, they, they obviously worry about churn as their output. And so they're beginning to see that elevated level. And if you drift into the midstream OTT player, cable player, it becomes even more difficult to protect against churn. That demand is so elevated now that we're seeing folks like Ken and others kind of get their doors pounded in saying, hey, do you have content for us? And What's really unique, I think, in the landscape today, and you mentioned not a lot of companies existing anymore, is sustainable content models, right? I think there's a lot of examples of really expensive content creation that was difficult to go sell, um, really specific and non-reproducible content formats that were difficult to ultimately live with, um, and the need for can we consistently create 8, 12, 24, 48, whatever episodes of a show um, and ultimately know that we can deliver to you consistently kind of regardless of what's going on in the world, that has a lot of value. And there's a very short list of companies in our eyes that ultimately are able to do that in today's ecosystem, but exactly match the needs of a number of the players that exist. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I think that also something that for us that we've noticed that has been a little bit of a uh, uh, a change for us, but also just a little, it, it, was a, it was, this was a very positive thing that came out of it for us, which is we realized that there, to your point for engagement, there's an audience that we needed to super serve. And that audience is a diverse audience. Sure. And sure. it's content that they have, this diverse audience has been kind of searching for. And we might have kind of, we came into this with that strategy of, we have an opportunity to really engage an audience, engage a celebrity, bring them together in a way that they will, they have not been able to in their careers because they've been on TV or movies or musician. And so you don't have this direct access the way you can it, by having a show online. Sure. And that I think has been the bigger impact for us of working with women who are entrepreneurs, who are diverse, 
who have been in this industry for a long time, who want to connect with their audience, who have a lot to say um, from their background perspective and where they come from. And this audience has been wanting this kind of content. They've been yearning for this kind of content. And we are able to provide that in a very meaningful way by producing content with our celebrities uh, that is, you know, high quality, having our celebrities um, self-shoot. So it's more of a, you feel like you're with them in their, not, we shoot in their homes anyway, but it's a very different feeling when they're shooting it themselves. They're, they're, you're, they're bringing you in even more uh, by kind of following them around, you know, like, or, or having them with their family go to a restaurant and eat and like talk about what, you know, the restaurant and why it means so much to them, that kind of stuff, like which we call on the go um, type of production. Um, And then, you know, especially during now, this time it has been mostly self-shot stuff. And so the celebrities are really bringing them, bringing the audience into their home. And they're not only just bringing them into their home, they're bringing them into their families, into what they, what they believe in, what they, you know, especially during this time too. And so one of the things that we've kind of done more uh, this year are live episodes too, Uh where our celebrities go up and we live stream on YouTube and Facebook and they are talking about a specific topic, whether it's voting, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's just their own personal um, journey of what they've gone through, because, you know, a lot for a lot of them, it hasn't been easy. So they're now able to connect in a very different way with the audience. So all of this to us is just the impactful, meaningful conversations and content that we can continue to put up. So that's very important to us as well. And that's where it has evolved, I would say, over the past few years that we want to work with women that have that voice. They're not scared to talk about things. They're not scared to bring you in to their homes and into their lives and into their families. And that's where we've noticed great success and the audience really, really engaging in that. Um, And to your point, yeah, we've seen huge jump in engagement since we've been working with um, these, these talent. And it's, it's been good for us. It's we, we listen to what the audience says. We, whether it's good or bad, we take it all in. We make sure that we adjust accordingly and we figure out different ways to keep continuing to put out better and better content. Uh, I think you're really hinting at what is that, you know, there's a very underserved community of people and it's diverse women and women typically that, you know, again, you just don't serve them the right way. And so they have this yearning, as you're saying, for quality content that relates to them from folks that they really listen to and respect and feel part of. And so the more that you can kind of create that intimate experience of content, and you guys have done a really great job at that, I think, but probably as well, the more that you can get folks embedded, the greater the engagement. And ultimately, the more that that content creator ends up in kind of this middle ground between being a celebrity uh, and being somebody people look up to, to being an influencer, to being almost a friend. And when you begin yeah. to move down that value chain, there's a lot of optimization available with regards to monetization and engagement and sustainability and scale. And it means that the shows end up building typically an underlying support that just yeah. continues there week on week or episode on episode. And so 
that sweet spot, if you will, is one that I think a lot of folks are trying to go after today. Obviously, there were many events that happened just over the last couple months that have accelerated the attention on this particular group and being done tastefully and not so tastefully, depending on where you're looking. Yeah. But you know, again, I think a lot of folks are not equipped to really serve against that demographic and, and the talent that you guys have really brought together helps you to enable to serve that demographic base. What I think is interesting though, as we go further from here and go back to the monetization discussion is that when you have that role in somebody's life, right, which is somewhere between influencer and friend with the celebrity kind of the underlying, it creates a lot of monetization opportunity that I think is interesting. And there's been a number of trends I think we've seen, would be curious what you've seen, but you know, we look back into the early days, whether they were MCN, whether it was originally the media businesses with obviously really heavy reliance on advertising based revenue. I think that's a surprise to anybody, but whatever the advertising format might've been, uh, whether it was as bad as a banner or as good as maybe something embedded, it was advertising revenue. And that leads to volatility when Google or Facebook, whoever else decides to change their algorithm and all of a sudden the monetization gets screwed up and you get massive volatility. And that's what affected many of the players who have died since this all started many years ago. Yep. We then saw a transition. Uh, and over that time, we either got better at advertising-based monetization and or we just pivoted it slightly. So we were thinking about native placements, uh, brand mentions. Uh, how do you take, instead of just a banner, embedding it into the experience, right? And again, that's a mixed level of success, depending on who you're talking about. Some do that really poorly. Um, you know, sponsored posts, and it feels really kind of forced and not real. Um, and others do it really well, right? Super organic. You would barely know what was happening. It's just kind of embedded there. And then I think where we're headed now, for us at least, as we think about it, and, and I think Instagram is a really great example of this, you know, can we embed purchasing directly into content experiences? Right. Can we make it easier for the consumer to go reach and pick out that item that they want? And how do we begin to influence people in a, you know, a nice way to go out and make purchases and really shorten that link, right? And, and over the years, that link is shortened really significantly. I think about folks on Instagram being a great example of this, starting with, you know, okay, well, you've got to Google it. You can't link to anything. So then you got to go on the website and then go find it. And you're three or four connections out. Now we've gotten shorter where it's simply a link in the shopping experience mm -hmm. embedded. We can just click on something and it's getting as far into that everything is shoppable, right? The, there's a mechanism that identifies what somebody's wearing, what somebody's doing, whether or not they're sponsored or not. It's just everything shoppable and there's affiliate links that are behind it. But we're along that spectrum somewhere. And so I'd be curious how you think about that spectrum, how you think about that spectrum, specifically given the position that you guys have and other businesses like yours have with the end user or the consumer. Um, and then of course, against the demographic that you guys are focusing on. Yeah, so definitely, um everything you said is pretty much on point with kind of what we're seeing. Um, I would say for us specifically, we have our, we have our few revenue streams that we really focus on. Um, we, we, we are always open to new different revenue streams, different ways of monetizing, but yeah. I would say AdSense is a big one. As much as we don't have control over the algorithm when Facebook changes it or YouTube changes it, the good thing for us is we are a brand safe uh, company. Yeah. So we are usually um, we are usually in the clear whenever something like that changes. So that's that's been good for us. But it does change and it'll just happen, and then we all we all have to deal with it. Um, from a brand perspective, you know something that we definitely made a decision on was we weren't going to do these huge complicated brand deals. They were, they were too time consuming. They were, um, 
required too many hands, too many people. Um, and the audience didn't really care. They weren't engaged, you know? And one thing, so what, one thing we started to do and just try out was, all right, let's do these lower touch integrations and let's put in, like you were saying, just a quick 30, 60, 30 or 60 seconds into a video. Maybe the content doesn't even have to do with that product, but somehow we are able to organically just put a 30 or 60 second kind of just integration into the video. And we started that doing that with some of our talent um, with this new model. And we found, we saw success there. And the other thing we found success was with direct to consumer brands. I think that was a big thing too, um, that they, they wanted to, they wanted to spend their money the way we were doing stuff. They didn't want to spend their money the way traditional brands do, meaning huge campaigns and advertising yeah. and, you know, publish, published advertising and all of that. They wanted direct to consumer brands want to get directly to the consumer. Sure. So they want to get directly to the audience. And they knew by working with someone like us and working with the talent that they, that we work with, that was a pretty easy step for them. So that's been, that's been another one that's been good for us of, you know, really building these relationships. And that doesn't mean we're not working with the big brands. We definitely are. Um, And we've had great success this year with some of the, some of the bigger brands as well. Um, But this is over the past couple of years that, that has been something that we have really tried to focus on because one, it's a, it's a lighter lift for the talent too. And that is the biggest thing for the celebrities, because then if it's, if it's a, if it's a whole sponsored video, it feels like a commercial then. And now the talent is like, what are we doing here? We're not, I'm not trying to sell our audience on buying this the whole entire episode, you know, it doesn't feel organic. It just doesn't feel right. And so when we kind of brought this into play, everyone was like, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. This and same thing, we put the links in and, um, you know, we do whatever we can to make sure that the audience can get to the product as quickly as possible. Right. And in the least amount of clicks as possible as well. So even for us, if a brand does not sponsor an episode, but we talk about products in an episode, we will put links up for every single product that we talk about in the episode. It might link to Amazon. It might link to like Macy's or something like that but we will definitely put links in because that's one of the biggest responses we get from our audiences. Oh, what's that uh, makeup brush that Adrian used in her video? Or, you know, what was, what, what was that um, t-shirt that Jeannie was wearing? Like we want, they want the audience wants to know every single thing from head to toe, what they're wearing. So even, like I said, even if a brand's not sponsoring it, we usually put up links for every single product that is being mentioned in the video. And that's where we might do an, like an affiliate link type situation. So at least we can make some money off of it as well. So that way the talent makes some money off of it as well. When um, sometimes we don't, you know, sometimes we just link it. And that way, at least we don't get pushback from the, the audience that, well, you talked about this and we don't even know where to buy it because that's also bad. That's kind of bad relationship with the audience if you do that. Sure. So that's also been good for us. You know, another thing, especially during this time right now, and, you know, we started this last year with kind of doing these online haul videos where our talent will buy stuff online and then just talk about it in a video. And they've done, those episodes have done really well because people just want to know what do these celebrities like. 
And so one thing for us that we wanted to definitely highlight this year was Black-owned businesses. So we have done a few episodes now with with our talent where we specifically talk about Black-owned businesses and link to those businesses. And we don't take any of the proceeds for that. It it stays fully with the businesses. Um, We've gotten multiple uh, responses from these businesses since these videos have gone up that their revenue has increased either 30 to 50 percent um it just in just because of those videos they've been getting like date licks the day after the video goes up their sales are up like over 100 percent. so you know for us it's that's the point of doing this that's the point of us doing those videos is it's not for us it's not for the talent it's for the businesses to help promote them and these are amazing businesses great products so we that's something we should be doing and so, through, you know, this is how it continues to evolve for us and keep, you know, we want to make sure that, again, that we are entertaining the audience, but that we can bring in other factors. We can bring in social justice factors into what we're talking about. We can talk about voting. We can talk about Black-owned businesses, Asian-owned businesses. Like, we can bring all of that into our content, but still make it feel like it's not so serious or in the sense of, these are serious times. These are serious topics, but let's make it more personal. Sure. And so that's what we're trying to do uh, with our, with some of our content going forward and giving our, that's the other thing too, for us that I think is a difference. It's actually, it's a difference from any other industry for sure, but it's definitely a difference. I think that helps set us apart is we, we tell our talent, this is your platform you guys should be talking about what you want to talk about. We're not going to stop you. You know, let's, let's be open. Let's be honest. So like one of our talent went through abuse as a child. She has talked about it. You know, our, one of our talent has talked about her journey through Hollywood or or they've talked about um, just growing up black in this country, you know, or growing up multiracial in this country. Like we want to make sure that our we have that open platform and that our talent feel open and they know that we're never going to stop them from talking about what they want to talk about. Right. Right. So I think that also is a very different thing than most industries or even digital entertainment companies that have that opportunity to be able to do that because it's not like our topic is specific to anything. It's not like our whole uh, company is about board games, let's say. And so all you can talk about is board games, you know, like, that's the great thing about our thing is that it's, it's a very diverse and open top, like lifestyle content. So you can really talk about anything. But back to monetization. Sorry. I kind of went off on a little tangent there, but you know, for us, for monetization, it's continuing to um, partner with Google, Facebook, you know, be a part of any initiatives that they put together um, do what we can to make sure we continue to um, have uh, those that relationship. But like I said, we can't control AdSense. We can control the brand integrations. We can continue to build on build on that. Continue to license our content. Continue to create new content with other companies, um, with new talent, and like brand new formats or something like that. We want to do spinoffs from our current shows as well. Like there might be something that like we had a viral hit, for example, with one of our shows, all things, Adrian, she did an episode about different food combos where she like combines like tuna fish and Kool-Aid. 
and like stuff like that. And it like this video went viral. It was like the Ellen DeGeneres show talked about it. Like, you know, it was, it was good. It was, and it was hilarious too. You know, it was like a really funny episode. And so through that, we've thought about like, well, that's a show in itself, you know, like people would watch this different crazy food combos and different cultures and like all of that. And you, you really can bring like, you know, when you, when food comes into play, you really can bring everyone together, you know? So it's just stuff like that, that we're continuously thinking about now and trying to figure out that growth part is how do we, from a monetization point, how can we continue to grow? And that's what, that's one of the ideas is, is spinoffs as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is a natural segue to really how the end customer and consumer has changed over time, right? And I think it's very much to address exactly what you guys are delivering, which is they no longer want, I mean, a long time ago, they wanted to go on TV at 5 p.m. and watch the same show, whatever it was, right? It was Saturday morning cartoons, or maybe it was afternoon, whatever it was, right? But they, they wanted to just add that experience. It wasn't very interactive. They had kind of this ideal of, of who that person was, and they saw it from afar. Maybe they read about it in the newspaper. You know, then we transitioned to somewhere in the middle where they felt like they were getting a little bit closer. There was coverage on celebrities. There was stuff to say. Maybe they could engage with them on social, but it wasn't direct kind of engagement. It was just kind of listening to what they were saying or whatever. Maybe it was on Twitter. And now we're at a spot where everybody's craving interaction in a very real way. Everybody wants community. Everybody wants to feel like they are getting the genuine self of that celebrity they look up to or whatever it might be. Um, and there's really this need for intimacy or they want to see into the lives of somebody else, particularly somebody they follow. And I think what's interesting is that that's probably increasingly elevated inside of the demographic that you guys focus on, just given the history of the demographic that they've gone through. I think the world has been awakened to that even over the last couple of months. And so that kind of hits this perfect sweet spot of can we create these environments and foster these conversations, if you will, in a, in a world that, that feels very comfortable and consumer and really solves the pain point that they have, which is very much looking for these kinds of experiences and to tie it back to distribution. I think that matters when all of a sudden you're linking together YouTube with linear, with OTT, with social, and there's all these different points. And then of course it links in back to monetization where we started to say, Hey, now we can go influence folks to go look at these products or shop black owned businesses or whatever it might be. Right. And that, that is a very positive reinforcement cycle that I think exists between all the vectors here. And again, very much addresses what is changing with the consumer. And it'll be interesting to see where we go from here, which we can talk about in a couple minutes. But that to me is, is kind of how we see that cycle and, and where businesses like Kin fit inside of it. Yep. I a hundred percent agree. I mean, to, if we, if we are going to talk about what comes next, like I would love to get your thoughts on, or if you have thoughts on live shopping, because yeah. I think that's probably one of the big things that's about to really pop over here. I mean, it's, it's, it's becoming one of the biggest things I would say in China, um, out, you know, from a, just a new way to do something. Yeah. And I mean, some of the articles that we've been reading are, are, it's, it's pretty amazing what they're doing over there. Yeah. And I think it's about to hit here pretty quickly. And I think it's going to become a, I mean, this could really change the way people shop. Yeah. And I, it's, it's very interesting to me. I don't know if you have thoughts on it. Yeah. Let, let's do this. How about we talk about COVID briefly and we'll finish with that. Okay. I, I All right. There's <laughs> okay. a lot going on there with live shopping. That, I agree. Again, takes that one step further. But let's talk about it in a minute. Let's do COVID first and we can finish with okay. what comes next. So um, COVID obviously had an effect on many, many businesses. 
um, less so for Kin specifically, more so perhaps for the industry, you know, would be curious how you think about that effect. Um, the way we think about it was that advertising revenues got affected, and so naturally that volatility came back. Um, the supply and demand kind of got screwed up. The CPM environment shifted. Uh, we've seen a recovery now on that track again, but we're not all the way back quite yet. Um, and certain folks felt more volatility than others, right? And you mentioned brand safe, a little bit of protection if you're fully brand safe versus if you aren't. Um, where you were living, video distribution is interesting sometimes. It also slowed down brand spends. Uh, and so when it came to influencer marketing, uh, when it came to product placement, when it came to even affiliate linkages, a lot of that either got kind of washed out and said, look, we're gonna spend less money on this, um, and or was a greater push on ROI, and many folks struggled to say, okay, here's the ROI, if you give us this much, what the return is. And now we're in a spot where either folks, at least in our view, have pivoted a little bit on the monetization front, figured out ways to diversify. Maybe they tried to sell content. Maybe they tried to do advertising differently. Uh, maybe they tried to license content to people, whatever it might have been. They were looking for ways to, to just keep the dollars coming in to, to continue to grow. Um, and for the most part, optimize business. And I think more broadly right now, the content engines are just beginning to kick back into gear. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still a little early in that. Production is certainly not up and running again, but we're seeing some folks do initial shoots and, and some of the traditional content creation is happening again after being on a long pause. So that's how we see kind of the, the COVID effect. Yeah. I'm curious how you think about it, maybe for Ken and then more broadly as well. I mean, I think you hit it, it exactly what you said. That's what we've seen. That's what we've seen with, for us, you know, I think, I think, Q2 2020 just doesn't exist for everyone. I think we all want it to just go away. Um, <laughs> I think what we saw though, and which I'm, I'm assuming uh, you've seen, but also what you're referring to is I think at the end of Q2, beginning of Q3, there were a couple of weeks there where we saw a big uptick, you yeah. know, and we, it was just like people wanted to spend money. Yeah. They had been holding on to their money for two and a half months and, they needed to figure out a way to get rid of it and they wanted to, and maybe like their year end was coming up. And so they had to spend their budgeted money because then, you know, maybe they're, they wouldn't have gotten it the next year. So whatever it was, we saw a big uptick and now we've seen it just kind of level off a little yep. bit, not in a bad way, like in a way that it's just kind of, it's normalizing again, you know? And so I think that's what we've seen. I think it's, it's again, built on relationships. I think it's because, uh, a lot of the people that we had worked with, those are the ones who called first. Yeah. Um, and then it was us doing some other outreach, but a lot of it's been inbound, which is, is good for us. Um, from a CPM standpoint, same thing. I think we saw like, you know, just took a nosedive and then it kind of um, started to make its way back up. Um, I think for us specifically, we didn't see as big of a nosedive because again, of what we've talked about, but we, it was enough that it was noticeable for us for sure. sure. And something that we had to uh, kind of think about it from a programming standpoint, because then it was like, okay, well, if CPMs have gone down, if we get more views, we'll still level off. Yeah. And so then it was about the programming. What can we do? And we were luckily in some ways because one of our talent got engaged. So that video went viral. And then one of our talent just moved into a huge house and we did a house tour of her new house. So that went, so there were things that actually happened during that time, especially in Q2 where our talent were having some life events. So our videos 
ended up doing really well. So if those CPMs had been where they were probably in like Q1, we would have, we would have made a lot of money, but because the CPMs weren't, we still had these huge views on these episodes. We were still able to stabilize it. Um, but yeah, so we're seeing it kind of, you're right. I think it is still volatile to a certain extent. Like we will see some big, we'll see some kind of stabilizing, some normalizing, and then we might see a little bit of a dip. Um, but then it, I think that's where it does come down to a little bit of the programming then. Sure. If you're putting out content that people want to see, and if you're especially putting out this kind of co- like life event type content, you're going to get the views then. Right. Um, yeah, I think, I think you really hit it. I think for us now it is, what do the next six months look like? What do the next 12 months look like? You know? And we're still able to put out new content with new talent, put out new content with our current talent, uh, license our content, even though cable, you know, TV and cable are back somewhat into production again. If you think about it, they're in production now. That's not, content is not going to be ready for like at least six or nine months. Yeah. So they're getting ready for ne- like next year, uh, next season for next yeah. year. So that's something that still gives us a little bit of advantage because we have this content that's ready to go right now that you can have and you can put up this year if you wanted to, like you want to put up new content in October, November, December, we've got it, you know, and it's ready to go. So I think that's where we've seen the interest from these cable networks is because of that, that they might have, like you said, like just some library content. It might be content they, they don't really care about, but it's at least to put up new content, but then they can come to someone like us and they're like, Oh, this is really good content. It's relevant right now. We also, most of our content is evergreen content. So that works out in their favor as well. Uh So they could, they could license content from us now and still put it up because it might be like a, a two year licensing deal or a three year licensing deal. They can license it from us now and put it up in June of next year. And it's still relevant evergreen content, you know? So that's what we've been noticing. Um, and so I think, I think you're on, like I said, you're on point with everything. And for us, it's just looking at how does between now and the end of the year look like, how many, what are these deals that we have in play? Let's make sure we can close some of those. And then what's the next evolution? What's the next step? And what's the growth? And it's just continuing to sign more diverse women, um, continuing to find talent that just uh, fits with our model. But, and then also the, different formats as well. And can we take these formats potentially and just go sell those formats to TV or to, or to networks or cable networks, you know? So it's, it's kind of thinking about all of that together. That's kind of where we are. Oh, absolutely. And the last thing I'll add, and then we can talk a little about what we're seeing in the future is that this has been a very interesting time for businesses that generally fit against the pieces we've been talking about, which is, can you build a multi-distribution channel (laughs) of community, right? And can you say, I'm going to actually engage these people on YouTube, on social, on whatever else. And if you can, and that community is sticky, right? You have somebody who actually stays inside, wants to engage, wants to be a part of it. And the content, as you pointed out, is quality and supports it. Then code was actually a really great opportunity because of the levels of engagement and how easy it was to go acquire a new consumer or a new viewer. That created a very interesting top of funnel for businesses that Again, may not have monetized it now during COVID for all the reasons we talked about, 
but all of a sudden on the tail end, we'll get that monetization lift and we'll start seeing it come back again as everything kind of recovers and, and regresses towards the mean. So I think we're seeing that as well. But let's talk a little bit about where we're headed. We obviously mentioned live shopping. It would be great to get your even broader thoughts. You know, how do you think about where we're headed next when it comes to content, when it comes to monetization and everything else? You know, what's your big picture view? And, and I'm happy to get mine as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, from a digital standpoint, it is continuing to, for us specifically, it's continuing to partner with celebrity talent that want to talk about their journey. I think that's the biggest thing because it's not necessarily just the monetization part. It is the programming part of it. And as long as we can continue to partner with um, these women or just in general, and maybe that is part of the growth, you know, is do you start, do you start, um, pushing out of just diverse women? Do you go diverse male celebrities? Do you go sports celebrities? Like, what do you, how do you continue to grow from the talent side of things? And so that's one thing that we're potentially, you know, considering and thinking about, um, but not, not straying away too far from the core business, which is diverse women and, you know, helping to support, um, uh, that audience. Um, and then from a, from a monetization standpoint, I think it is continuing to build with these brands. I think, you know, doing, getting in with brands from the beginning um, and figuring out creative ways to do things and making it like more, maybe it is, maybe it's just a sponsored by, it's not a sponsored episode, uh-huh. you know, and, or they're sponsoring a whole season or they're, we're doing more product placement. So it's just more, it's passive revenue that is, is it's not taking up resources, you know? And those are the ways that we're trying to supplement things. And then from a bigger standpoint, it is continuing to license our content. But I think the next real big step could be partnering with these cable networks or, you know, the actual like network networks and creating new content together where they put it on TV and we put it online at the same time. And I think that is probably the next evolution. And I don't think anyone's really done that yet. And I think that's something that we're definitely interested in doing. I think the key is the demographics are different. The TV demographic is much different than the online demographic. So you can, you can put the content up at the same time. And we just got to find that right talent, the right network and put it all together and that's something that we're working on. That's something that I think we're kind of close to being able to do. And we're really looking forward to that because that to me is a little bit of a game changer because yeah. now we can go to a lot of networks and say, we're the digital experts. You're the TV expert. You keep the TV rights. We keep the online rights. Let's do this together, you know, and we'll, we'll figure out the, the legal stuff and the, the, you know, the terms and all of that, but like, this is the broad idea. And that's what we're, that's what we're kind of seeing. I mean, we're licensing is still going to be a big part of it. I think international is the other thing too, Andrew. Like, I think that's something that for us specifically, you know, working with us celebrities is great, but you know, India, uh, Mexico, Japan, Brazil, you've got some women who have hundred like we think the Kardashians are big, like they're nothing compared to some of these celebrities in these other countries, you know? So like just like a hundred million followers is like a normal thing for like an Indian uh, celebrity, you know, like a Bollywood actress. So what could we do with that? And even if let's say they're, 
their the data of their um, followers is let's say it's even seventy percent uh, male. Still thirty percent of the hundred million. So that's thirty million people are still female. You know, so that's it's just you're talking about numbers on a different level. And that scale is just like ridiculous. So I think international is probably one of the bigger things too that we're going to start uh, exploring more. Um, and start to figure out who we, who we can partner with. Um, it's something we've already started to look into, but I think that is probably another big part of our, our next steps and next evolution. No, absolutely. And as I step back and think about the broader industry, I think for us, you know, A, we think the content we ultimately end up creating feels like short form formatted content um, and short form being kind of less than 30 minutes, maybe a little bit longer, but yep. relatively short form definitely formatted, definitely reproducible, uh, powered by a limited number of talent. So we think the talent gets constrained, particularly in the kind of format that you guys are creating. Um, we think the value of content is only going to continue to increase because supply and demand is so difficult. Um, we think that the cost of creating content is increasingly coming down, and that's true both for a uh, traditional TV show down into a more scrappy community kind of creation of yep. content. Um, we think that cost needs to come down and the folks that are on the lower cost of content have an advantage because the experimentation by the players need to experiment, namely the OTT and the cable guys, uh, they have a lower risk in those kinds of scenarios with that linkage is a little bit closer. We think that evolution-wise, we'll ultimately get to, and we've been saying this for a long time, is immersive content experiences. So uh, that might be as far as a VRAR setting and something in between, uh, can we make it more intimate and make it more of a real-life, feel-like-through-there type of experience with a lot of variables that affect how quickly that happens over time. Uh, we think that from a monetization perspective, advertising revenue um, in an AVOD setting particularly will continue to grow. Um, we think that AVOD as a model is probably the future. SVOD is increasingly dying yeah. or fit to a very small number of players. You can only split the consumer wallet in so many directions. But that informs the way that advertising is ultimately going to be embedded um, inside of an AVOD setting. We think that Folks who are doing advertising in legacy ways, um, whether it's just pure banner, whether it's just pure kind of embedding it somewhere, doesn't feel very organic, isn't customized or personalized at all. We think that's on VK. And instead you get either personalized ads and kind of the in-between setting, embedding it into shows, into content. Um, something just more organic and meaningful. We think that's the next wave. And that'll happen in an AVOD setting at first and ultimately flow down into the open web um, as folks like YouTube and others figure out better ways to monetize with ads and just throwing something in between every three and a half minutes. Um, we think that shopping becomes really central in content like Kin's content, particularly where you have celebrity or you have uh, some kind of personality who's at the center of that mm -hmm. content. And particularly when there's not a plot. So when we think about plotted content, there's typically less space for that kind of direct promotion. We see some ad players kind of, you know, whatever, put a Coca-Cola can somewhere or yep. placements, but we think that that's not really as ripe for e-commerce monetization as what blends that line between being an influencer and content creator. And so obviously you guys sit in that equation. Um, we think that today it'll happen, as I mentioned, by shortening the path to purchase. Um, so making everything shoppable, there's some interesting technologies doing that. Some people are doing it in the legacy setting where you actually go in and tag items and then go on the back end. Yeah. Which is fine when the scale is relatively limited, a lot more difficult when the scale is enormous. We think the next step, and you're mentioning live shopping, is ultimately bringing those things closer, right? Can we figure out 
either a technology platform that enables us to purchase right away, or it's making preload buying information and have the ability to shop while things are going on live and bringing down the consideration time, which typically is better for purchases, particularly in the US. Um, do we create scenarios that feel like what was really maybe the legacy of the US shopping market of having almost TV shows designed to go promote buying of items? Um, and if so, celebrities are gonna be at the forefront of that. Um, but ultimately, e-commerce becomes an increasingly large portion of the monetization of the city. Um, so again, we're seeing things very similarly. We're pretty excited about that need for short-form content. And we really want to ultimately see these broad communities of whether it be demographic, whether it be interest, whether it be whatever, around particular influencers or parties or celebrities or individuals. Um, and then we think the monetization opportunity is right, right? That ultimately there's a really compelling need to go own businesses like that. And the key at the end of the day, as you know, is can you create sustainable, relatively low cost, consistent, super high quality content that can be repeated and ultimately proven dynamic as a model when you go and distribute it internationally against different use cases, different content promoters, whatever. So, so that in a world where resources weren't constrained, you could create a vast amount of content in a really quick way. So that's how we see kind of the, the big picture and, and where we think we're headed. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, it's for us specifically at Ken, that's what we're kind of seeing too. Um, I think Avod, you hit it on the nail with that. Like we, we definitely are that we're figuring out our Avon strategy because we find it important. We also are the other thing for us also is it's content that these platforms want having a channel with a kin channel, let's say called like kin diverse women. There aren't many channels like that. So I think that's part of it too. Um, I think, so yeah, that's something we're working on. I think e-commerce, you are, you're definitely correct on that. Um, You know, we don't, merchandise is an interesting one, like, like specific to our shows. Yeah. We're not sure if that's, that's what's going to be, if that's necessarily going to be a revenue stream, we're definitely testing it out. Yeah. We're actually going to be testing it out uh, in, the, in about a month okay. uh, with one of our shows, um, which we're very excited about. The audience has been asking for it. So now we'll see once we actually are able to provide it, if, they're going to buy it or not, you know, so let's see how that goes. Um, and then I think, you know, this just live shopping or just any way for people to be able to buy the product as easy as possible. So I think that's something that is the next thing for us that we are in research mode on right now. Um, and some of our talent would be up for it in a second. I think they'd be really good at it too, because you have to have the right personality to be able to do like a live shopping type episode too. And you have to want, you have to be able to sell things. And I think our talent are perfect for that. So that's something we're definitely researching right now and figuring out. But yeah, I mean, we, I think we're on the same page. I think what we're seeing is exactly what you guys are seeing. We're, you know, especially for us, like just kind of living it every day. I think we're, we're definitely hearing the same things. No, absolutely. Well, hey, this has been uh, a real pleasure. I think everybody's going to really enjoy this. And uh, I very much appreciate you joining. I think this is a great conversation. Thank you so much, Andrew. I appreciate it, too. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Bye-bye.